Fusion. How you guys feeling? All right. I get it. Who's had a long day? Raise your hand. Woo! Join the club. I'm right there with you. But I need everybody to stand up. Stand up, stand up, stand up. So a lot of you guys may not know, but before this, I worked at a UFC gym. I taught boxing classes, kickboxing classes. So one of the things I do to get going is called a boxer shuffle. And it's like this. And you got to let the shoulders rock like this. And I need everybody doing it. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Come on. You got to shake off the day you are here tonight. And this is what they do. You know, over in the corner of the ring, they're moving like this. Just getting ready. Getting ready. Is anybody feeling more ready? There we go. All right. So how do you feel? There we go. Much better response. I get it, though. We all have long days. You may be seated. Thank you for those of you who waited for me to say that. That was respectful. Man, so. Okay, so there's... I'm not even going to tell y'all what that means, why Tay was laughing, because then everybody's going to be pointing it out. Well, now I got to tell y'all. Okay. <laughs> so, I have a tendency when transitioning from point to point to go, so. And so every time I do that, they laugh. And Erskine counted that I did it like 11 times in my last message. So, now we've let you guys in. But you got to pay attention to what's happening. Don't just focus on the so's now. Anyway, that's a different transition. We are in a series called Black and White. How have you guys been enjoying it? Okay. We had a worship night last week. Did anybody enjoy that? There we go. Crystal Nicole was here. James... Speaking of James, man, this guy just had a whole child. Number four. Can we get the picture up there? I just wanted to shout him out again. Look at that. And you know he's an artist because he named his child Arrow. It's such a cool name. I just want to take a second to just pray for Arrow. Are y'all down for that? All right. Everybody just stretch your hands towards the picture. <laughs> Either screen is an option. God, we just thank you for Arrow. Lord, we thank you for his father, James. We just pray a blessing over their family, God, as they come here and they serve your people, God. I pray a blessing over Arrow that he would just grow up in your will, God, that he would grow up knowing purpose, God, knowing that you love him, Father. Lord, we just thank you for the lives that you want to touch through him. We know that no person is put here by accident, God. So you put him here with a purpose and with intention. And we just pray that your perfect will would be done in his life in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So this series almost did it. This series, black and white. I came up with this when God was just speaking to me as I was reading in the book of first John. In the book of 1 John, it's a letter from the Apostle John, who was very, very close to Jesus. And it was a letter to a church at the time that was dealing with 
a lot of outside influences coming in and trying to speak new philosophies, new ideas, all these things into their theology, into the gospel. They were trying to mix and merge what was happening in society with the gospel and the word of God. And John, knowing Jesus, urged them to not do that. This was his attempt to bring them back to the truth, telling them to hold on to what they first believed in because it was true. This was a disciple who saw Jesus. He was there at the crucifixion and from the beginning of Jesus's ministry was one of the closest people to him. He said that we saw him in the flesh. We touched him with our hands. We heard him with our ears. And this is the message he brought to us. God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. This is the message that he says that Jesus brought. It's not just part of the message. It's not just a piece of the message. He's saying this is the message. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And last last uh, two weeks ago, I'm sorry, last message before the worship worship night, we were talking about how at the beginning, God separated light from darkness. He created light, saw that it was good, and then he separated the light from the darkness right at the beginning. And this is a theme that's gone on all throughout scripture. And the gospel is simply God reconciling us to him by bringing us into light when we were in darkness. Now, tonight, we're going to be talking about the piece of this letter where he says, actually, I want to touch on just some of the things that I did touch on in that message. We were talking about that separation, and there were three points that I just want to remind you guys of. One, separation must be intentional, meaning we have to, if we are following Jesus, if we claim to be in relationship with him, we have to intentionally separate ourselves to him. And, I, and it's just like any other relationship. When you get into a committed relationship with somebody, you separate yourself from the rest of the people for that person. And that's what God wants us to do. We have to intentionally separate ourselves to him. However, separation does not mean isolation. So that does not mean you cut off all contact with the outside world. In fact, separation, we're called to separation and then to invitation. So you may need to separate yourself from some relationships, from some, some things you've been doing, all those things. I actually had, at the worship night, had some great people come up to me and ask me a question that I thought was great. They asked, what do you think about Instagram and if Christians should be on Instagram? And they weren't making any accusations or anything. They were legit just looking for the truth about it because they're saying, man, there's a lot of good things on there, but there's also a lot of darkness on there. And what I said to them is what Jesus said to all of us when it comes to anything that would draw us away from him. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. That's extreme. However, what he's trying to tell us is there's nothing too great or too small or yeah there's nothing too great or too small to cut off to get to him simple as that whatever you have to do it doesn't matter if you feel stupid doing it 
Because some of these things can feel dumb. Like if everybody's on Instagram in the world and you, it, it causes you to fall away from God, you know that the conviction in your heart is telling you that when you go on Instagram, it causes you to go the wrong direction. That's something that you should pay attention to. And it might feel kind of dumb because everybody else is able to do it. And you feel like, well, if they're able to do it, it's not wrong. But what's, it's not about right and wrong for everybody sometimes. Sometimes we have to consider what is right and wrong for us in our relationship. And so there's nothing wrong with the hand. But if the hand is causing you to sin, cut it off. And so I just wanted to leave you guys with that. Now we're moving further along in the letter that John wrote about what we're to do as believers and how we should live. To 1 John 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, because at this point that he's writing this letter, he's an older dude. He was a disciple when he was young. Normally you became a disciple right in your like late teenage years, uh, possibly early 20s. But most of the disciples were actually most likely teenagers, which puts a lot of this into perspective that, I don't know, for some reason when I was reading the Bible, I just always thought of the disciples as like 40-year-old dudes the whole time. But <laughs> they were legit teenagers. So then when you see how they're acting, it makes a lot of sense. Even Peter, he was just reckless. James and John, John who wrote this letter was the brother of James. And James, John, and Peter were the closest ones to Jesus. And Jesus called James and John sons of thunder, meaning they were probably wild. When some people were disrespecting Jesus, John and James were like, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? And he's like, no, love them. But you just get a picture of the type of people that these guys were. They weren't just like your perfect individuals. But this son of thunder has now walked with God. He's seen Jesus do all these things. He's seen Jesus perform miracles. He's seen Jesus love people. Then he saw Jesus crucified. Then he saw Jesus resurrected and ascend into heaven. And then this is the message that he's bringing. He's saying, dear children, because I'm older now and I've seen a lot. Continue in him. Somebody say continue. Again. Continue in him. So that when he appears, say when he appears, when he appears, I think we need to hear that tonight, that it's a when, it's not an if. When he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So I want to unpack this tonight. He says, continue in him after talking about light versus darkness and the separation that needs to happen. And he said, if we claim to be in fellowship with him, in relationship with him, yet we continue walking in darkness, we're deceived and we're not practicing the truth. And then he says, if anyone claims that they're without sin, they're not telling the truth and they don't know what they're talking about. And we all sin and all have sinned and fall and we all fall short. But he says, when we confess, Jesus is faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And so he's walking them through the process of how we're supposed to live life. And then he says to continue in him. Because when he comes back, we need to be ready. If you read 
man, so many of us hear stories about Jesus from other people. And we hear what the media says about Jesus. We hear what our friends say about Jesus. When you read what he actually said, all he talks about is the kingdom of God coming and how we need to be ready. And there's an urgency behind it all the time. And all of these parables, all he's trying to do is help us understand. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. Then he says, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. And if this happens, then that means the kingdom of God is here. He was driving out demons and the Pharisees said, oh, it's by the devil that's giving him the power to drive out demons. And he says, a kingdom, that's the first thing that he goes to, is he wants them to understand that this is not what they think it is. This is not religion. This is not just some old book, but there is a kingdom and there are kingdoms. He says, if a kingdom is divided against itself, it can't stand. Even the devil knows that. So the devil is not going to go against himself. If the devil has possession of a person, why would he drive himself out? He has a whole kingdom of demons working with him to accomplish his will. But the will of God is greater. So Jesus says. Those two can't work, you can't have darkness driving out darkness, but he says, if it is by the spirit of God that I'm driving demons out, that means the kingdom of God has come upon you. That means. The kingdom of God has come upon us because he was driving out demons by the spirit of God. The kingdom of God. I want to keep driving this point home tonight because it's hard for us to remember that because we don't live in theocratic societies. We have democracy. How many of you guys voted today? There we go. We understand government in our culture and in our society. Jesus is saying there's a whole other government that's above everything that y'all created. It's the kingdom that was here before you guys were created. The kingdom of God. And it has now come upon you. So that's why you're seeing different things happen. Like demons being driven out. Because the kingdom of God is taking over. And the things that happen in the kingdom are now happening here. There was a story about a Roman centurion. That's just a Roman soldier. He came to Jesus and said, Jesus, my, my daughter is sick. If you can heal her, he said, if you're willing to heal her, I know that you can. And so Jesus is like, all right, let's go. And I'm going to heal her. He says, I'm not worthy of you coming to my house. I know how this works. If you give the command then that will happen. Spirit realm will move at your command. Why did he know that? Because he was a soldier and he understood rank, hierarchy, and authority. He understood that Jesus had a higher rank than any other spirit because it's a kingdom with a government, with militaristic structure. And he's saying, I know that if you just give a command because you're the general, Ultimate general. That's why there's power in the name of Jesus, because he's the ultimate authority. He says, if you give the command because you're the ultimate authority, it will happen. 
And then Jesus says, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. It took a Roman soldier just to understand military stuff to understand how this works. The kingdom of God has come upon us. So this brings us to our first point. One, Jesus is coming back. Do you guys believe that? Do you guys really believe that? Jesus is coming back. But he's not coming back like a lot of us think it's going to be. And a lot of us picture like this, like super calm, peaceful guy descending out the sky. And there's going to be like rainbows and butterflies. No, he was saying that the kingdom of God is coming. And he's the king. And that's going to look different than what we're used to. And we need to be submitted. I feel led to talk on this. We had an, all these elections and all this stuff going on in our government. It's important for us, if we claim to be in relationship with God, to filter everything that we're doing through that. So what happens in our society is they try to tell us how we should operate, but they are not followers of Jesus. And Jesus is saying there is a kingdom greater and it's already here and it already rules. And you can either participate in it or not, but it's here and it has the ultimate authority. So the word of God is the ultimate authority. So when we vote, we have to put our vote and our perspective through the lens of the word of God. And so whoever you're voting for, just have that as your priority to say, okay, what is this person's stance on what's important to God? And that's what I want to sign up for because everything that we're doing has eternal repercussions. Everything that we're doing has an eternal effect. So if you're only voting for the temporary, understand that it's being recorded eternally. And all of your actions, every decision that you're making is contributing to something eternal and God is recording it and not because he wants to just strike you down, but it's because he loves us and he actually has a reward that he's bringing for us when we stand for him. Thank you. So there's a book in the Bible that talks about the return of Jesus in great detail. A lot of us don't like to read it. A lot of us view it as scary. And it can be. It can be hard to understand. It can just be straight up hard to digest that that's actually going to happen. And it's called Revelation. Say it with me. Revelation. It doesn't, it doesn't roll off the tongue. Revelation. It sounds, it sounds hardcore, but it is when you read it. And the full title of that is actually the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of the book, revealing Jesus Christ. And we see Jesus as he is now, not as he was as a man walking the earth, not hanging on a cross like all these crucifixes, 
He rose from the dead. How many of you guys believe that? He rose from the dead. Only person to ever do that. Ever. Rose from the dead. Folded up his clothes. That's crazy to me. Folded his clothes like, I got time. And is walking around. 500 people. It wasn't just Mary and Martha and the 12 disciples. 11 at that time. (laughs) Yikes. Judas, bad move. But um, it wasn't just them. Over 500 people saw Jesus resurrected. This is like history. This is not just written in the, that's not even written in the Bible. That's written in history. These are things that people don't debate. So the world is out here trying to tell you that you're believing some myth that was adopted from like an old or myth. Not true. History says that Jesus lived. We know that. We know that he was crucified. And we know that after he was crucified and people saw him die, that a bunch of other people saw him alive. And psychology says that 500 people can't hallucinate at the same time. You can hallucinate, but 500 people can't hallucinate at the same time and see the same thing. It doesn't make sense. He's a risen, risen God. So the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ is giving another. It's probably another guy named John is what historians think that is not the same John. That is probably another John. But this guy is exiled on an island for his faith in Christ. We don't even face persecution. Like we and I mean, we I'm not just saying y'all like. I don't face persecution. I'm saying me. I don't either. And I like convenience. And I like to do things when I like to do it. But when I read the Bible, the Bible challenges that for me. When I compare my life to the lives of these people that are documented in Scripture that God gives us as a standard to compare ourselves with. I got it good. This guy believed in Jesus, just like y'all. And we come here and my confidence is your faithfulness. We good. We go home. We go to work tomorrow. We put up a little scripture on the IG story. We read the little sprinkle of Jesus devotional. Verse of the day on the Bible app. You know, if somebody talks about Jesus, we'd be like, do I want to get in that conversation? We have like, we have it made. This guy believed in Jesus and was exiled, like on an island, away from all his community, away from his family. What they say, probably doing hard labor. And so Jesus gives him. A vision 
into what's happening in the heavenly realms. And this is some of what that looks like. Revelation 19, verses 11 through 16. If you want to turn to it, you can. I'll give you all a second. I know most of y'all are just going to look at the screen. That's what I do most of the time. So Revelation 19, 11 through 16, he says, Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He's talking about Jesus. That ain't, that's not the Jesus that you see on paintings. That's not the Jesus that you see on Instagram. That's not the Jesus that you see perpetuated in the media. He's like, nah, his eyes were like flames of fire. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood and his title was the word of God. The armies of heaven. Y'all got to pay attention when you're reading. And you'll understand way more than you do before you read. Simple as that. This whole structure is all throughout scripture. The armies of heaven. He wages a righteous war. We have to be aware of this. We have to. When we say that this is what we subscribe to, we call ourselves Christians. We have to understand what's actually happening. It's not just a salvation prayer. And then go on with your life and try not to do bad stuff. There's more happening. There's more that God wants you to participate in. There's more that he has for you. And it's here in the Bible. It's right here. And he wants you to know that's why his his child, John, in exile, he gives him this vision and then tells him to write it down. Make sure you write this down, what I'm showing you. It says that in there. Make sure you write it down because people need to know this. That's why I'm showing it to you. Thank you. The armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. From his mouth came a sharp sword. Where else have you heard that? The word of God, the sword of the spirit. The word of God is sharper than any two edged sword. You see it through all out scripture. It's inspired by God. He wants you to have a visual and an understanding of what this is. Jesus is riding in on a horse with an army behind him with eyes like blazing fire. And a sword is coming out of his mouth to strike down the nations. What that means is the nations. Everybody is going to be held accountable to what he said. Meaning we as believers, especially, we have to know this. And as a non-believer, 
you're making a choice that you're not with it. But what he's saying is everyone will be held accountable to what I said. Us as Christians especially, we cannot continue down this road of, oh, man, I need to read my Bible more. And we all do. Me too. I read it a good amount, but there's always more. We can't continue giving ourselves excuses, viewing this life as gray, black or white, darkness or light. And he wants us to be aware of it. He did not inspire 66 books of scripture by over 40 different authors over thousands of years for you to not read it. This is for you. He already knows what he said. He knows what's going on in his head. He's trying to share it with us. He didn't do it for him. He's not doing it so that you check off a check mark of read a verse today. That's not what he wants. He gave this to you as a tool, as your weapon, because you are in a war. You are. The crazy thing is, a lot of times we feel like if we just don't acknowledge it, we can just kind of put it to the side and we just don't have to deal with the war part. It's a war and you're in it. Whether you believe in Jesus, whether you don't, it doesn't change the fact that he created you. Whether you're in relationship with him or not does not change the fact that he is the ultimate authority. And he's given us a choice to be in relationship with him or not. And it was our choices that separated us from him in the first place. And it still is the result of our choices that separates us from him. And he went to great, great, great lengths just so we could have relationship with him. He gave us, I don't know how many words are in the Bible, but just the scriptures I've read tonight are powerful. And you're talking about a whole collection of writings that he wants you to know and understand just so you can be better equipped because there is a war going on. There is an enemy who wants you to be separated from God just like he is. He does. Thank you. <laughs> For real, though, there is an enemy who wants your soul. He doesn't just want you to be sad today. He doesn't just want you to have anxiety. All of those are things he's using as tools to separate you from God. That is his goal. His goal is for you to not have the goodness of your father. So God sent his son into the world to pay the price so that you could. And he's inviting and inviting and inviting and inviting. 
and you have the choice because love is about choice. He didn't make you a robot. Nobody wants a relationship that the other person was forced into. He doesn't want that either. He doesn't want you to be separated from him. He wants closeness, intimacy, relationship with you. And that's what all of this is about. But he's coming back. And everything that the enemy is trying to do here is temporary. And it will be fixed. And he will lose. And you have victory available to you. Victory. But you have to participate. says he will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords, the ultimate authority. And this is not to scare you. This is to empower you. He's saying you have access to me. The king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the name that's above every other name on earth and in heaven. You have access to it given to you freely. A price you did not pay given to you. You have access to it. However. In chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. John sees something else. He says, and I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. Imagine seeing that. Like, I'm sure he's just trying to find words to describe that. Like, we can barely even imagine what that looks like. Like, the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they couldn't find anywhere to hide. God is on another level. There we go. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. This is real. This is really what's actually going to happen. This isn't some myth or a story. It's what's actually going to happen. And and God wants us to know that and wants us to know, he wants us to make an informed decision. And he's given us ample information to be able to make a decision. But he is the ultimate authority. We claim that we want justice. We claim that we want fairness except for when it comes to our decisions. He says that he rules with justice. He judges fairly and wages a righteous war. The the scariest thing for me with this is not that God is like some big, scary person wanting to bring the hammer down it's it's really that 
he set fairness in place before we were even created. And he set laws, boundaries in place before we were even created. And then when he created us, he told us what the boundaries were. And he won't break his law. His law is actually to serve us. His boundaries serve us. They're not to keep us constrained. I can't think of a command that God gives that does not benefit me. Can you? It's just hard to do sometimes. That doesn't mean it's not beneficial. That doesn't mean it's not the best way to go. But he's going to give it to us straight because he loves us. But at some point, we have to be held accountable for our decisions and choices. And he's given us every single way out of being held accountable for our wrong decisions. Who on earth would go and die for you just so you could be in relationship with them? Who would you do that for? Right. Thank you. Especially not crucifixion. Just get shot. Mm. Mm. I've never been shot, so I feel like it's easy for me to say, like, oh, I could take a bullet. But crucifixion. <laughs> crucifixion. He's showing us how much our sins actually cost and did not make us pay the price. But it costs something. Everything. And he's paid it. But we will be held accountable. We have to make a decision for whether we chose to walk in the light and be with him or if we chose darkness, which is the absence of the light, the absence of God. If we chose that, then that's what we get. It says the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. It's all recorded. Jesus gives us the option for that to be wiped away. For all of our sins, for all of our wrongdoings to be wiped away. In our society, if somebody murders somebody, we say, well, it's fair for them to go to jail. Especially if they kill somebody that you know. But if you do it or if somebody who you know did it, oh, it's a different feeling. We can't make fair decisions. That's why we need a righteous and just God who can make those decisions. He has the authority and we don't because we don't deserve it. We can't make those decisions, but he will because he's righteous, because he's just and because he is fair. When we say we want fairness, that's what he's actually giving us. And on the flip side, he actually has a reward for those who choose him. It's not just about punishment, but there will be punishment for us breaking his laws and we see that every day in society and we don't blink about it. Okay, they broke the law. Going to jail. No big deal. Here, it seems extreme and unfair. 
even with the price that he paid. And I'm talking about that for myself as well. It just seems extreme, but it's the reality. It says, the sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelation chapter 21. I felt like Kirk Franklin when I said that. Y'all remember that? <laughs> Revelation. All right. So. <laughs> oh, man. Revelation chapter 21, verses 5 through 8. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end to all who are thirsty. I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious victory. Are y'all victorious? All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, which is becoming very popular in our culture and in our generation and in our age group, idol worshipers and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's the reality. To the victorious, who are those who just accept what he's done and continue in him, they will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. That's what he wants. But he's man enough to make a decision. And I just say man enough because there's not really a good word for God enough, I guess. I don't know. But <laughs> he's big enough to make a decision that we can't make. And just like he blesses us beyond we could imagine and the good things that he has in store for us are beyond what we can imagine. There's a other side to that. There's, there's also punishment that we couldn't imagine. And it's fair. And that's hard for us to grasp. However, all God tells us to do is receive him, receive what he's done, walk in that, and he has abundant life waiting for us. We don't even have to worry about that. It's a decision. I want to talk about um, a piece, a word that Pastor Dennis actually mentioned in one of the messages in our series that we just finished, uh, talking about the armor of God and the war that we're in. And he, he mentioned the word uh, ahion. It's a Greek word, and it means an age, a cycle of time, especially of the present age, as contrasted with the future age, and of one of a series of ages stretching into infinity. We are in an age, and during an age, there are mindsets, 
There are philosophies. There are common practices. There are trends. There are things that are accepted that are not, that are just a part of the age. And things change as ages change. We cannot make the mistake of trading eternal truth for just the philosophies of the age we're in. And that is just as true for the good things as for the negative. So when he says, my peace I give to you, that's regardless of the age that you live in. That's regardless of whether they're cutting off Christians' heads or if we have mega churches. My peace I give to you and I leave with you and I don't give as the world gives. He says, my, the peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. These are promises that are true regardless of what's going on around you, regardless of the circumstances. God is not bound to your circumstances. Somebody needed that. So this is simple. The most important question that we can ask ourselves is, what is most important to God? If we have that as our top priority, we can live our lives with confidence because if we're making our decisions through that lens, what is most important to God? And I'll go back to equating it to a relationship. How many of you think that you would be in a good relationship if that other person just considered what was important to you? Wouldn't that be a good relationship? Oh, man, their top priority is just what's important to me. That's amazing. That's what God calls us to, though. And to do that for each other, to serve what's most important to you. I want to bring that to you. What's most important to me, you're bringing that to me. That's relationship. And that's what God is calling us to here. And when we do that with God, we can be confident and unashamed before him. That brings us back to that first scripture where he says, Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. So I got, I just said it. So I got three steps to confidence in God based on 1 John. Step one is confess. He says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. It's okay. We're all in this predicament that we sin. But he tells us what we're supposed to do when that happens. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves. But if we confess our sins to him, to Jesus, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins And to cleanse us from all wickedness. He says he's faithful and he's just. I want to unpack that piece right there. Because we a lot of times think that God wants to give us what we deserve. The idea of being just there is honoring what he did. And what he's offered to all of humanity. He's pardoned all sin. If we confess and give it to him, he's just. And so it doesn't matter if you kill somebody or if you lied. It doesn't matter the darkness that you've stepped in. 
He's saying he's faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you, just like he would cleanse anybody else. He's faithful and he's just. And that step two is cleanse. Allow him to cleanse you. Well, how does that happen? In Ephesians 5, 25, Paul gives us a picture of marriage and then equates it to Christ in the church. He says, husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church. And then he describes how Jesus treats us. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean. He gave up his life for you. Why? Not to, be, to you know, beat you over the head with it. I gave up my life for you. I gave up my life for you. He's not trying to do that. He's trying to make you holy and clean. He says he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. So to be cleansed, we're cleansed by the word of God. As you read, he will be bringing stuff up out of you. As you get to know him, he'll be washing and cleansing you as you read his word. He says that his words are spirit and they're life. It's not just text on a page, but it's powerful to actually make a change. He says that you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that process happen? His word. That's why he gave it to us. It was not just to sit on your bookshelf. He actually wants to cleanse you with it. And you have access to that. Point three is continue. That's the part that is challenging for a lot of us because the enemy does not want you to continue. He wants you to just stay in your sin. Or when you sin, he wants you to beat yourself up about it and sit in guilt. But no, God is saying continue. Continue. He's faithful and just to cleanse you. And then he just wants you to just keep moving forward. To continue simply means to remain in relationship. Philippians 3.12 says, I don't mean to say, this is Paul speaking. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I press on. I continue. I haven't reached it yet. I'm not perfect. I still sin. I still mess up. But he's given me the process for every time that I mess up, for every time I step back into darkness, for every area of darkness that's in my life. This is the process. Confess, allow him to cleanse, and then continue. Matthew seven twenty one through 23 gives us a perspective of those who don't continue in him. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, this is Jesus speaking, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we've prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. I've heard a lot of people quote this scripture and it make them scared. Like, oh, snap, I could be a Christian. And I just get up there and he's like, surprise, I never knew you. (laughs) 
that's not exactly how it works because he's faithful and he's just. He doesn't want you to be having any surprises. What I believe this is saying is that you can continue doing a lot of things. These people may have continued going to church. They may have continued serving in church. But they did not continue in him. They didn't continue in relationship with him. So they didn't know him. So they would do things in his name, use his name, but did not know him. That's like Kevin. That's like me saying to everybody like, yo, Kevin is the man. Kevin's dope. Kevin has a nice polo on. Kevin, 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 Kevin. But if Kevin, if Kevin and I have no friendship or relationship, when I come up to Kevin and be like, yo, Kevin, you my best friend, bro. He's going to be like, I don't actually know you. Just because you've been telling everybody my name. Just because you've been talking about me with people. But you weren't talking to me. I hope that resonates with you. With more than just a clap. More than just a squad. I love y'all. But I hope... (laughs) I hope that really sticks with you, though. To understand what he's saying there. Because he wants you to understand this. Not just hear it. Not just clap about it, but understand it. It's actually very simple. He wants relationship with you. That's it. That's the whole theme of the whole Bible. Is God seeking relationship with man. And trying to provide that for them. And then we see the story of our responses to it. Which is not normally good. We normally don't respond well. We're normally not faithful or just, but he is. And he's saying, I already understand that about you. So I've put this process in place. I've already paid for all your sins and all the stuff that would separate you from me. So here's what you do. After I sent my son, this is available to you. Just come to me and be real with me. Confess with me what's going on in your heart because I already know, but I want relationship with you. I want you to make an honest decision to come to me and speak with me about it. And then I'm faithful to remove it. And that may be a process. It's not like, oh God, I'm struggling with this. And then he's like, whoosh. No, cleansed by the word of God. Not one word, the word. Continue in it. Continue, continue, press forward. I know that it's challenging sometimes. I know that sometimes it feels like you can't beat what's, calling you this the sin that so easily ensnares the sin that so easily trips us up i know that it it feels like we can't get away from it sometimes but he's saying that he's faithful to cleanse you just stay with this process don't think about what the future is going to look like being today so god i messed up today help me cleanse me What do I need to do? Man, let me get in your word. Let me let this cleanse me every time. And it's going to feel like you're doing it a lot because we mess up a lot. We all do. It's okay. We all mess up a lot. 
And he already knew that. That's why this process is in place. But when we understand that, we can have confidence before him because we know him. So if Kevin and I actually are best friends, if we actually are tight and we talk all the time and we know what's going on in each other's lives and we support each other, then when I see him, I can confidently be like, yo, Kevin, you're my best friend. And I know what his response is going to be. That's what Jesus wants for us. He doesn't want to appear and it be like a stranger's appearing. It should be a reconciliation with a friend, somebody you know, somebody who's already been speaking to you, who you communicate with all the time. It's just like, yo, I get to see you face to face, but I know your voice. He said, my sheep know my voice. So I know it's you because I know you and you know me. Point three Confidence is where we find the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. That's where we find it. He says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Well, how do you have that? Confidence. In 1 John 3, he says, dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, We can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. We can receive from him whatever we can come before him boldly. That's the the relationship that he wants with us. That's what he paid for, not just for a transaction with you, but you as his child. You can come before him like, hey, dad, love you. I know that you love me hey, this is what I want uh, to do today. I know that you actually know everything. You have the best intentions. So, God, so dad, I just want what you want. And I want to help you achieve that. And in that, I know that all my fulfillment is there. I know that you'll bless me along the way. I just want to follow what you say. Imagine if you just had the perfect parent who always knew the right thing to tell you to do, and you could fully just trust them and follow them. And it's their heart's desire to just bless you. That's what you do with a child that you love. You want to bless them, guide them, give them good gifts. He says, if you as evil men know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven know how to give good gifts to you? And when you ask for a piece of bread, he's not going to give you a stone. He's a good father. If you as men won't even do that, God definitely won't do that. He wants relationship with us. Hebrews 4, 16. He says, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And when we understand that process, we can have a clear conscience. That's what this is about. Confidence before God comes from a clear conscience. When you have a clear conscience with somebody, you can just speak to them directly. You don't have any fear. He says that perfect love casts out all fear. And I want you to come before me boldly with confidence. When your conscience is clear, it leaves room for faith. When your conscience is cluttered, it's hard for faith to get in there. Because you're like, "Eh, no, I know what I was actually doing this morning. I don't know if I can ask you for that. I thought about it even on the way here. 
there was like, I was in the turning lane and there was a car that was just like zooming by and it looked like it was almost about to hit me. But I noticed in that moment that I had faith. I'm like, yo, I, I have to get to fusion. God loves me. And like legit, just in that split second, I had no worries because I know he's in control and I know he's over this physical realm that he has control and I have access to him and his protection. My conscience was clear. I didn't have to worry about, oh man, have I actually been walking with him? Do I actually know him? Uh, it, it, it leaves no room for faith. But when your conscience is clear, the clearer your conscience is, the bigger your faith can be. A wide open conscience leaves room for huge faith. Faith that God will protect you. Faith that God will bring you what he's promised you. Faith that he is who he says he is. Because you see him do what he says he's going to do. You're in relationship with him. You're walking with him. You're talking with him. And you know that's what he's asked for. So you know you're doing what pleases him. You're reading his word and then you know what his desires are. It's just like getting to know a person. Once you know about them, then you can speak to them. Pastor Dennis's message this past weekend about prayer was amazing. He was teaching us how to pray prayers that get answered. And it was simply by having a clear conscience and actually knowing God. So then you know how to talk to him. It's nerve wracking to call somebody you've never spoken with before. So like, I don't even know what to say. When you know God, you know what to say to him. And he's given his word so that you'll know what to say to him. You could just repeat back to him what he said. It's that simple. So tonight, I want us to take some time to contemplate where we are in this. Where's our confidence? Is our conscience clear? If it is, great. Talk to God. If it's not, you have the opportunity, you know the process. I would challenge you though, if you say your conscience is completely clear, I would challenge you because I think we could all be drawing a little closer to him. I think that we all could be doing a little bit better with the reality in mind of the kingdom. So I want us to examine where we are from that perspective and know that he loves you and he wants you to be closer to him than ever before. So I want us to take some time to worship. We're going to go into this song. And then I'm going to come back up and I'm going to ask leaders to come down. So when I step back on the stage, if y'all see me, I'm, you can start walking this way. And then we're going to have people available to pray with you. But I want to give an opportunity for everybody, including the leaders, to just examine where you are. And you know the process. Confess, allow him to cleanse and continue. And allow us to partner with you in that. You can't do it alone. And he didn't make you or create you to do life alone. It's not good for the man to be alone. 
He wants us in community and to partner with one another in this walk so that we can continue. I want to pray a prayer. God, search our hearts tonight. Lord, if there's anything that's not like you, expose it to us, Lord, so that we can give it to you, so that you can wash us, so that you can cleanse us. Father, you said that no man can come to you unless you draw them. So God, I pray that you're drawing hearts tonight. And I pray that we would respond, that it wouldn't just be you drawing us, but we would respond to the drawing. We would respond to the calling. Wash us, Lord. Help us to keep you as the final authority, as our father, as the king of our heart. In Jesus' name.